Well, howdy y'all. Welcome back to my back porch, or kitchen as it were, episode number 38 of Once Upon a Time in Texas. I am your host, Michael Mitchell, and uh, you know, I just, I, I like technology. I am one of those people that I, I do like technology. I tend to, I don't know, not be an early adopter of things. <clears throat> but I do like to, to get in and learn it. And so about 20 minutes ago, I decided it was time to get on and do this podcast. So I get on, I, uh, I start kind of prepping things, getting everything going, the juices flowing, all that kind of stuff. And then my damn computer does an update. And of course it takes for freaking ever. Thank heavens, you know, my wife and kids weren't home burning up some of the internet. And uh, it only took about 20 minutes. I, I don't know why. It just, there it is. It's kind of my morning so far. <laughs> A little frustrating. I'm sitting here like, I got home from the gym and I'm like, I'm feeling good. <clears throat> you know what? I'm going to go ahead and sit down and do this podcast. And then, uh, nope. <laughs> no, you're not. So, like, do I go on up and shower? Is this going to take a while? I don't know. Anyway, so there you go. That's the morning. Haven't showered yet. Now I sat here and muscled my way through the 20 minutes because, of course, you know, the the little wheel shoots up to 99%. And I was like, oh, well, all right, we're, we're almost done. And then it sits there for like eight minutes. And uh, then it says computer restarting, do not turn off. And so it's doing the little spinny wheel crap again. <laughs> I'm just like, good Lord, what are we doing? <clears throat> so as you can imagine, uh, it is Texas football season. Now, as I've expressed previously, uh, me and my family really aren't football people. We're not really sports people at all. Um I mean, it's not, I'm not saying that we don't appreciate them or whatever. We're just, I mean, we're not the kind of people to go sit down and watch a baseball or football game or whatever. We do watch the Olympics um, some, but mostly it's just on. And we just kind of float through and it's on the TV. But anyway, I mean, so I know it sounds weird. Y'all are probably thinking, Mike, you're from Texas. Of course you're a football person. No, I'm, we're really, I mean, my whole family, we're really not. <clears throat> now, I've got cousins who are. But, uh, yeah, for the most part, I'm not. But you know what? Um, my daughters are in the band, and they go and support. You know, they do their thing with the band. Um, well, one daughter's in the band. The other daughter is Color Guard, which travels with the band. And, uh, oh, they came home from their game last week, and they were just upset. Um, they go to a local high school called Ryder, and uh, apparently the powers that be at this football game down in Abilene only scheduled 25 minutes instead of 30 for halftime. Well, that just won't do. And so... Anyway, Ryder goes out and does their thing. And then the Abilene, I think it was Abilene Cooper, comes out on the field. They take the field. 
and they're doing their thing, and, and the powers that be realize these guys aren't going to be done, and so they stop the clock at two minutes. Apparently, nobody told the Ryder football team, <clears throat> and they came blasting out onto the field through their, you know, inflatable Ryder Raider that they've got with all the the smoke and everything, but the band is still playing, and oh, uh, my girls were just livid. This is just ridiculous. <laughs> so... I was like, whoa, calm down. Like, oh, man, my oldest daughter was going to come home and, uh, like, write letters to the editor, and, oh, she was just so mad. That is just so rude. And I'm like, baby, you are right, but let it go. A mistake was made. <laughs> so, anyway. So, when you hear about football, or not football, oh, God. When you hear about Texas and the pure awesomeness that is the state of Texas, lots of people do think about football and cowboys and Indians, wide open prairies, cattle drives, and cowboy boots. But we have what is considered to be one of the most elite law enforcement groups, or agencies, I guess I should say, law enforcement agencies in the country. However, they were a bit sketchy in times past. And I'm talking about, of course, the Texas Rangers. Not the baseball team. We are talking about the law enforcement agency. So few other law enforcement agencies have reached the, the stratospherical stardom that this bunch has. So today I think we're going to take a little bit of a look at their history. Because why not? I'm going to share some of that with you. It's kind of cool. Before we do that, of course, before we check out the coolness, the awesomeness that is the Texas Rangers, I want to thank our sponsors, of course, as always, me and American Mortgage Company. I know there are tons of people moving to and in Texas, and of course, now Oklahoma, because I'm licensed there, and I know a lot of y'all do too. So let me help them out. I am an independent mortgage loan originator working with American Mortgage Company. We help people finance their dream homes here in Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, mortgage loan originators have your best interest in mind as we are faster, cheaper, and easier than going, you know, another route for mortgages. We also don't get paid unless you are happy and you close a loan and buy a house. So why not work with somebody who's at least a little entertaining Works hard to make that process faster, cheaper, and easier. You know, somebody like, I don't know, me. <laughs> if you know someone moving to or in Texas, send them over to me at themichaelmitchell.com. That's T-H-E, michaelmitchell.com. Let me help them out. Remember, when you work with me, I sell dreams, not mortgages. All right, so, um, yeah, Texas Rangers. Let's just jump right into it. Let me get a little drink here. Ah, water. All right, so the Rangers are founded in 1823 by a guy that we know fairly well, Mr. Stephen F. Austin. He is known as the father of Texas, after all. He employed a whopping 10 men to act, to act as Rangers <clears throat> to protect six to seven hundred newly settled families who arrived in what was then 
Mexican Texas following the Mexican War of Independence. While there is some discussion as to when exactly Austin actually employed them in as rangers, Texas Ranger lore dates the year of their organization to this event as 1823. The Texas Rangers were formally cons constituted in 1835, I almost said constituated, that's not right, that's not even a word, constituted in 1835, and in November of that year, Robert McAlpin Williamson <clears throat> was chosen to be the first major of the Texas Rangers. Within two years, the Rangers had comprised more than 300 men, which is a pretty good law enforcement force. Following the Texas Revolution and the creation of the Republic of Texas, newly elected President Maribo B. Lamar, who was the second elected president of the Republic, raised a force of 56 Rangers to fight the Cherokee and the Comanche, partly in retaliation for the support they had given to the Mexicans at the Cordova Rebellion against the Republic. Um, ten Rangers were killed in the Battle of Stone Houses in 1837. Um, the size of the Ranger force was increased from 56 to 150 men by Sam Houston, who was then President of the Republic. And this was done in 1841. So the Rangers continued to participate in, you know, little battles and skirmishes, mostly with Native Americans through 1846, when the annexation of Texas to the United States happened, and the Mexican-American War saw several companies of Rangers mustered into federal service. So they played important roles in various battles. They acted as guides and participating in counter-guerrilla warfare. They soon established a fearsome reputation among both Mexicans and Americans. At the Battle of Monterey in September of 1846, famous Texas Rangers such as John Coffey Jack Hayes, uh, Ben McCulloch, Bigfoot Wallace, and Samuel Hamilton Walker played important roles in the battle, including advising General Williams Jenkins Worth on the tactics required to fight against a Mexican city. And I'm not sure I think that General Worth is what Fort Worth is named after. So anyway, Richard Addison Gillespie, a famed Texas Ranger, died in Monterey, and General Worth renamed a hill Mount Gillespie after him. The first regiment of Texas Mounted Rifle Volunteers was also known as Hayes, Texas Rangers. Colonel Hayes organized a second regiment of Texas Rangers that included a guy named Rip Ford who fought with General Winfield Scott in his Mexico City campaign and the anti-guerrilla campaign along his line of communications to Veracruz. So I'm throwing out a lot of names here. Uh, really, I mean, that's that's kind of how the history of the Texas Ranger reads. It's lots of names. So anyway, John Jackson Tumlinson Sr., the first alcalde of the Colorado District, which we're going to get into those districts later, 
is considered by many Texas Ranger historians to be the first Texas Ranger killed in the line of duty. One of his most urgent issues was protection of settlers from theft and murder by marauders. So on his way to San Antonio in 1823 to discuss the issue with the governor, Tomlinson is killed by Native Americans. His traveling companion, a Mr. Newman, escapes. And then Tomlinson's body is never found. And so he's actually considered to be the first Texas Ranger to be killed. So now we're going to jump back. Sorry, the, the history that I found, and maybe I should have organized it better, kind of jumps back and forth a little bit. Anyway, following the end of the war in 1848, the Rangers were largely disbanded, but the election of Hardin Richard Runnels as governor in 1857 meant there was a, a budget of about $70,000, which in 2022 is the equivalent of almost $2.2 million was allocated to fund the Rangers under um, Rip Ford's leadership, uh, who was the veteran of the Mexican War. So they're now about 100 strong, and the Rangers participated in campaigns against the Comanche and other tribes whose raids against the settlers and their properties had become very common. Uh, Ford and his rangers fought the Comanche in the Battle of Little Robe Creek in 1858, and then Juan Cortina in the Battle of Rio Grande, uh, Rio Grande City, and then the following year with Captain Peter Tumlinson. Well, that doesn't sound right. No, no, that's sorry. That's Peter Tumlinson. Sorry, the other guy was John Jack. I'm assuming that's probably a... Whew, I thought I'd written stuff down wrong. No, that must be a... Because that's a weird name, Tumlinson. That must be a ancestor. So anyway, lots of Indian fighting, basically, is what we're saying. Um, Indians would come in, kill people, steal stuff, Native Americans. Um, you know, and, and y'all can argue about the history there and everything, but whatever. It happened, and that was kind of the purpose of the Texas Rangers back in that time, was to try to protect, you know, these citizens and their properties from these savage people who lived out on the plains. So the success of a series of campaigns in the 1860s marked really a turning point in the Rangers' history. The U.S. Army could provide only limited and thinly stretched protection in the enormous territory of Texas. By contrast, the Rangers' effectiveness when dealing with those threats convinced both the people and the state and the political leaders that a well-funded and organized state ranger force was essential. Such a force could use the deep familiarity with the territory and the proximity with the theater of operations as major advantages in its favor. However, this option was not pursued in, uh, in view of the emerging national political problems, which turned into the American Civil War, the Rangers were again disbanded. So they've been disbanded kind of, sort of, two or three times so far. So, of course, many of the Rangers enlist to fight in the Confederacy following the secession of Texas from the United States in 1861 during the Civil War. Because you have to remember, these are fighting men. And so if their group, their agency is disbanded, well, they still want to fight. 
So we're just going to fight for the Confederacy, which Texas joined, and we're going to go fight. So the 8th Texas Cavalry Regiment was also known as Terry's Texas Rangers. In 1870, during Reconstruction, the Rangers were briefly replaced by a Union-controlled version called the Texas State Police, and they were supplemented by the 30-man Texas Special Police. Both organizations are disbanded a short three years later. So the state election of 1873 saw newly elected Governor Richard Koch and the state legislature recommissions the Rangers. So during these times, many of the Rangers' myths were born, such as their success in capturing or killing notorious criminals and desperados, um, their involvement in the Mason County War, which there's all kinds of stuff about that, the Horrell Higgins feud, and their decisive role in the defeat of the Comanche, Kiowa, and Apache peoples. The Apache actually dreaded the Texas Rangers, whose guns were always loaded and whose aim was unerring. They slept in the saddle and ate while they rode, or they did without. When they took up our trail, as the Apache said, when they took up our trail, they followed it determinately and doggedly day and night. That's pretty scary if you have an enemy out on the plains like that. So also during these years, the Rangers suffered their only defeat in their history when they surrendered at the Solanero Revolt in 1877, which I may do a podcast on that later. I don't know. Despite the fame of their deeds, uh, the conduct of the Rangers during this period was really illegally excessive, as the story goes. Um, They took a lot of liberties with legality. So, in particular, there's a a ranger captain named Leander McNelly, and his men used really ruthless methods that often rivaled the brutality of their opponents, such as uh, taking part in a summary of executions and confessions induced by torture and intimidation. He was kind of a bad dude, and he led a group of bad dudes. So the Rangers see some of their most serious action at a summit that was held between William Howard Taft, then President of the United States, and President uh, Porfirio Diaz in 1909 in El Paso. They prevented the assassination of both presidents and then, uh, you know, basically participated in the subsequent Mexican Revolution. The breakdown of law and order on the Mexican side of the border, coupled with a lack of federal military forces, meant the Rangers were once again called upon to restore and maintain law and order by any necessary means, which again led to excesses in legality, I guess. Uh, However, the situation necessitated the appointment of hundreds of new special Rangers by the state, which neglected to carefully screen aspiring members. So the Rangers are responsible for several incidents. Um, So ending, really, in the January 28, 1918 massacre of the male population 
which include 15 Mexican men and boys ranging from 16 to 72 years old, of the tiny community of Porvenir, Texas, on the Mexican border in western Presidio County. So before the decade was over, thousands of people had died, Texas and Mex or Texans and Mexicans alike. In January 1919, an investigation launched by Texas lawmaker Jose Tomas Canales found that from 300 to 5,000 people, mostly of Hispanic descent, had been killed by the Rangers from 1910 to 1919, and that members of the Rangers had been involved in many acts of brutality and injustice. So kind of a black eye, I guess, on the Texas Rangers. The Rangers were reformed by a resolution of the legislature in 1919, which saw these special Ranger groups disbanded and a complaints system instituted. So a good deal. You know, when you have 300 to 5,000 people die, that's probably a good thing to look into it. So the Great Depression forces both the federal and state governments to cut down on personnel and funding of their organizations, and the number of commissioned officers in the Texas Rangers is reduced to 45. It's interesting to note that their only means of transportation that was afforded for these 45 Texas Rangers were being free railroad passes or using their own personal horses. The agency is again damaged after supporting Governor Ross Sterling in his re-election campaign after his opponent, Miriam Amanda Ma Ferguson, won, and she proceeds to discharge all serving rangers in 1933. So the ensuing disorganization of law enforcement in the state causes the legislature to engage a firm of consultants to reorganize the state security agencies. The consultants recommended merging the Rangers with the Texas Highway Patrol under a new agency called the Texas Department of Public Safety, or DPS. This change takes place in 1935 and had an initial budget of $450,000 which is the equivalent of about 9.6 million today. With minor rearrangements over the years, the 1935 reforms have really kind of ruled the Texas Rangers organization until you know today. So hiring new members, which had been largely a political decision previously, was achieved through a series of examinations and merit evaluations, which is good because you want the right people in that kind of job. So promotion relied on seniority and performance in the line of duty. Today, the historical importance and symbolism of the Texas Rangers is such that they are protected by statute from being disbanded again. So obviously they were called to duty and disbanded, looks like, I don't know, three to five times. So they kind of come and go, but... I, Rightly so. I mean, when you look at some of the history, like, I mean, McNelly's Rangers, man, they were, we look at that now and go, man, they were rough and tough dudes. And they were, beyond question, they were rough and tough dudes. But they were serving a purpose. Whether we agree with that purpose today or not, who's to say? 
But one of the most famous quotes that I, I just love, which just kind of speaks to the uh, badassery, I guess, of the Texas Rangers, is the quote, one riot, one ranger. <clears throat> and this is really a, a sensationalized quote in that there never was actually a riot. Um, rather, the phrase was coined by Ranger Captain William Bill McDonald, who was sent to Dallas in 1896 to prevent the illegal heavyweight prize fight between Pete Mayer and Bob, uh, Bob Fitzsimmons that had been organized by Dan Stewart and patronized by the eccentric Judge Roy Bean of Langtree, Texas. Um, yeah, if you, if you ever need to look into somebody famous, you need to look into Judge Roy Bean. Maybe I'll do a podcast on him too. Why not? According to the story, McDonald's train was met by the Dallas mayor who asked the single ranger where the other lawmen, where the other rangers were. McDonald is said to have looked at him kind of puzzled and said, hell, ain't I enough? There's only one prize fight. <laughs> so I had also heard there was something about a riot down in like the Eagle Pass or Del Rio area. And uh, I had heard a similar story when I lived in West Texas that basically they asked, where's the rest of your people? And the Texas Ranger replies, well, one riot, one ranger. So anyway, although some measure of truth lies within the tale of this one anyway, it's, it's largely an idealized account, I guess, written by author Bigelow Payne and loosely based on McDonald's statements because we do like fictionalizing some of these things. And uh, they were published in Payne's 1909 book, Captain Bill McDonald, Texas Ranger. In truth, the fight had been so heavily publicized that nearly every ranger in the state of Texas was on hand, including all the captains and their superior, Adjutant General Woodford H. Mabry. Many of them were very undecided on stopping the fight. Um, you know, because they just weren't sure or even attending it. Uh, other famous lawmen such as Bat Masterson were also present. The orders of the governor were clear, however, and the bout was stopped. But it turns out a lot of the, uh, a lot of the rangers that were there were actually there because they, they wanted to see the fight. <laughs> so Stewart did uh, Dan Stewart the promoter of this fight tried to reorganize it in El Paso and in Langtree where Judge Roy Bean was from uh, and I've been to that museum actually and I may tell that story later I was actually shot at that day three times while on the phone with my mother who I kind of freaked out um, but I was too busy freaking out to worry about her freaking out anyway so anyway, the, uh, the Rangers thwarted all these attempts uh, at this giant prize fight. And so finally, Judge Roy Bean, if memory serves correct, uh, builds a bridge across the river into Mexico, and the fight takes place on the Mexican side of the Rio Grande near Langtree, you know, because there's money to be made. 
So anyway, I yeah, I'm probably, you know what? I'm going to write that down right now. Judge Roy Bean. Dang. Judge Roy Bean. Because he is an interesting character, to say the least. I'm probably going to talk about him. Anyway, um, so yeah. So the prize fight continues, but on the Mexico side, which is completely legal. And uh, life goes on. So the Texas Rangers did help solve or end some pretty high-profile cases, which solidified their sheer awesomeness and mystique in Texas history. Most of these cases ended in the death of the bad guy or gal, um, but also sometimes they just arrested them. Uh, a lot of these cases, uh, some of these cases are, are cases like uh, Sam Bass, John Wesley Harden, uh, of course, stopping the Taft-Diaz assassination attempt in El Paso, which I talked about a minute ago. Um, and, of course, Bonnie and Clyde. They were there and, and helped with that. So, I didn't get into really modern-day history, um, but I, I did find a pretty good bit about the duties of the Texas Rangers today. So, I think we have a pretty good idea of what the Texas Rangers did previously, like back in the day. But what do they do today? They're not riding around on horseback, you know, capturing or, you know, stopping prize fights in Dallas and, you know, shooting up criminals. And so the duties of the Texas Ranger divisions consist of conducting criminal and special investigations. So kind of like the FBI, but, you know, Texas Ranger style. They do apprehend wanted felons, um, suppressing major disturbances. So they have done some riot protection stuff and the protection of life and property and rendering assistance to local law enforcement and suppressing crime and violence. The Texas Ranger Division is also responsible for gathering and dissemination of criminal intelligence pertain, pertaining to all facets of organized crime. Um, they join all other enforcement agencies in the suppression of the same under orders of the director, suppresses all criminal activity in any given area when it is apparent that the local officials are unwilling or unable to maintain law and order. Also, upon the request or order of a judge of a court of record, Texas Rangers may serve as officers of the court and assist in the maintenance of decorum, the protection of life, and the preservation of property during any judicial proceeding and provide protection for elected officials at public functions and at any other time or place when directed. The Texas Rangers, with the approval of the director, may conduct investigations of any alleged misconduct on the part of other DPS personnel. So that's that's kind of a listing of what they do. And uh, there's a lot to that, but pretty much they do investigations and arrest bad people and suppress riots. Kind of, sort of. In, in the most coolest way possible. One of the most interesting things I found during some of my research is how they're now organized. So the Texas Rangers internal organization maintains the basic outlines that were set in 1935. So the agency is divided into seven companies. 
There are six district companies lettered from A to F, and then a headquarters company, which is H. The number of personnel set by the Texas legislature, and as of 2014, the Texas Rangers number 150 commissioned officers, one forensic artist, one fiscal analyst, and 24 civilian support personnel. The legislature has also made a provision for the temporary commissioned appointment of up to 300 special rangers for use in investigative or emergency situations. The statewide headquarters of the Texas Rangers is located in Austin at the Texas DPS headquarters. And uh, yeah, there you go. So the district company's headquarters are distributed in six geographic locations. And I thought this was interesting. So company A is in Houston. Company B is in Garland. Company C is Lubbock. Company D is Westlaco. Company E is El Paso. And Company F is in Waco. Uh, field Rangers are supervised by a senior captain or chief, headquarters captain, assistant chief, company majors and lieutenants, and then sergeants and agents are also part of the rank structure within the Rangers. So, um, and then of course the division headquarters is based in um, Austin, Texas. So the last thing I found, and I forgot to put it in here, but I'll just go from memory, is that there is actually no official uniform for a Texas Ranger. <clears throat> However, it is encouraged to go with uh, tan or khaki pants, typically a white button-up shirt with a tie, uh, and then, of course, a cowboy hat and boots are kind of the preferred outfit or uniform for a Texas Ranger. They do have a badge, and there is some significance to the badge. I read a little bit about it. It's kind of neat. has to do with a Mexican five-cent piece. Um and so, yeah, I mean, overall, uh, that's, that's kind of it. There's, there's an enormous amount of history. I did read a great book called One Ranger, um, and then there was a sequel to it, One Ranger Returns, and I think there was one more. Um, and I forget the guy's name, Joaquin, shoot, I forget his last name. <laughs> I, Joaquin, if you're out there, man, I'm so sorry. But anyway, I'll, I will plug the books. One Ranger and One Ranger Returns are real interesting stories that this Ranger, uh, Joaquin, actually experienced. So, that's kind of cool. So, go check it out. Read some more on the Texas Rangers because they really do have an interesting and unique history. So, there you have it. A brief um, themichaelmitchell.com history of the Texas Rangers Law Enforcement Agency. Um, there is a whole museum in Waco that's really cool. Uh, my mother even took me and my sister to it um, for a while when we were younger. She'd always heard this family story that one of her ancestors was a Texas Ranger. <laughs> and we went down there and, and she did the research. And, uh, and apparently... He was chased by the Texas Rangers <laughs> for a while. He was uh, on the opposite side of the law. And uh, yeah, so he wasn't a Texas Ranger. He was just chased by him. 
course. Of course, Mom. Only in our family. So, uh, anyway, what do y'all think? What other kind of stuff do you want to hear? Do y'all want to hear a little bit about Judge Roy Bean? He was an interesting dude. And I will even... You know what? I will write that down. I will even put down the story about me being shot at. Not while at the Judge Roy Bean Museum, but that's where I decided to go after. So, yeah, I might I might tell that story in a future podcast. What do y'all think? So... Let me know what other off-the-wall stuff you want to hear about. Always need material. Um, do my best to get it in there pretty quickly. want to thank our sponsors again, of course, me and American Mortgage Company. Keep in mind, if you know someone moving to or in Texas, or like I said, Oklahoma now, send them my way. Send them over to themichaelmitchell.com, T-H-E, michaelmitchell.com. And remember, I sell dreams, not mortgages. I love making people laugh and smile and get into homes of their own. Also, just another real quick plug. uh, Get on and check out uh, my other Facebook groups, um, Your Bucket List, which is a pretty cool deal. If you haven't heard about it yet or haven't checked it out, uh, I have not done much with it yet other than invite people. I'm trying to figure out the time and, and the process to do it right, but the idea behind it is... We're not raising money or anything, but we're going to, through connections, help people mark things off of their bucket list. And, I, you know, that's just, man, the world is such a weird and different place sometimes. And what a cool thing to be able to help somebody mark something off of their bucket list. So help me out. Y-O-U-R, bucket list. The picture that's on it is a, a compass laying on top of an old map. So get on, check it out. Join your bucket list. Um, also, of course, go ahead and get on the Once Upon a Time Facebook page and group. And so, uh, yeah, get on and check it out. As always, you can give me a holler through themichaelmitchell.com. Thank you all for tuning in to Once Upon a Time in Texas for episode number 38. And as always, remember the stars at night are big and bright, deep in the heart of Texas. Y'all have a great week.